0: So the book of Numbers, really the whole point of the book of Numbers, I believe, is to show us the difference between obedience versus disobedience, right? The difference between obedience versus disobedience. And it's important to know that obedience throughout Scripture is usually fueled by faith. We need faith. Hebrews tells us without faith it is impossible to please Him, so without faith, it's going to be impossible to please and obey the Lord. And now oftentimes our disobedience is led by fear. We allow fear to take hold of us and now instead of being obedient to God and taking steps of faith, we're being owned by our fear and we begin to make irrational decisions. We see things that aren't really there. We start doing crazy things and we think God really isn't on our side but instead he actually wants to destroy us. And that's what we're going to see here in Numbers chapter 14 that the nation of Israel is so fueled by their fears that they think God himself and the promises of God are actually going to destroy them. They think it would be better if they would be dead than to be obedient to God and follow the promises of God. A couple scriptures for us to remember, New Testament scriptures, Romans 15 verse 4, it tells us whatever things were written before were written for our learning, that we through the patience and comfort of scriptures might have hope. So again, here it's telling us the whole point of reading Numbers 14. It's not written for the nation of Israel to learn from their mistakes. The point of Numbers 14 is for us to read and for us to learn from their mistakes. For us to look at our lives and say, Lord, what are the promises that I'm right on the cusp on, but because of my fear, because of my disobedience, I'm not being obedient to you. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 8 through 11, I think we read this a couple weeks ago. It tells us, Nor let us commit sexual immorality as some of them did, and in one day 23,000 fell. Nor let us tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted and were destroyed by serpents. Nor let us complain, as some of them also complained and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now all these things happened to them as examples and they were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the ages have come. So again, the whole point of numbers being written is for our admonition. So we would learn from their mistakes. Don't you like learning from other people's mistakes? I love learning from other people's mistakes, right? Let them go through the pain. Let them waste the money, right? Let them waste the time. I love that. But oftentimes in our flesh and in our sin, we kind of think we're an anomaly to God's word. We are an anomaly to God's laws of obedience and disobedience. We are the anomaly of God's word when it comes to faith versus fear. Let us pay attention to the nation of Israel and not commit sexual immorality, not tempt Christ, not complain. Let us follow their examples. So one last thing to remind us of what happened in chapter 13. The nation of Israel, they send out 12 spies to spy out the promised land. God didn't tell them to do this. This wasn't Moses' idea. This was the idea of the people. We think possibly Moses, he went soft on them because they were just saying that his leadership was too hard and too strict. So maybe he was going easy on them and soft on them. And now these 12 men go out. Two of them give a true report. Ten of them give a false report. And what we see here is how 10 men can change the trajectory of a whole nation. These 10 men changed the trajectory of the whole nation. And now for 40 years, the whole nation of Israel is going to be wandering in the wilderness because 10 men changed the report and the people bought into their lives. We see here the warning of looking at God's promises and instead of Focusing on God's promises and His goodness, we begin to focus on the difficulty or the cost of God's promises. And when we focus on the difficulty and the cost of God's promises, we begin to go into dangerous waters. Just like the rich young ruler, he looked at the cost of following Jesus Christ and it was too much for him. He turns away sorrowfully. What we see here tonight is great men like Caleb and Joshua. Great men like David and Jonathan. Great men like Gideon. The great men of the Bible. Even this morning reading about Barnabas. These were men that were just crazy enough to believe what the Bible says. That's all it is. They were just men of faith that were crazy enough to believe what the Bible actually says. God promised the nation of Israel that God was able to save by many or by few. And there are just certain men in Scripture that were crazy enough to believe God and run hard after God. Are any of us crazy enough to believe God and run hard after God? Be faithful to Him and cling to His Word and cling to His promises. So chapter 13, they send out these 12 spies. Everybody's afraid here. Joshua and Caleb, they try to tell them the truth. They try to get the other 10 spies to realize what's going on. But now in chapter 14, verse 1, It tells us, so all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried, and the people wept that night. And all the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron, and the whole congregation said to them, if only we had died in the land of Egypt, or if only we have died in the wilderness. Why has the Lord brought us into this land to fall by the sword that our wives and our children should become victims? Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? So they said to one another, let us select a leader and return to Egypt. So the nation of Israel, they spend the whole night weeping and crying. It's people that are weeping and mourning all night when they hear what God's plans are for them. They're hearing what God's promises are for them. And the way they take it is that they weep and mourn the whole night. David Guzik, he says, it was mourning because God would not make it all easy. That that doesn't sound familiar to any of us, right? We know God's promises are right around the corner. We just have to be obedient to him. But God, this is hard. This is hard. Do I really have to do this to be obedient to you and taste of those promises? Israel, they were mourning the whole night because God wouldn't make it easy. Israel, they were mourning the whole night, blaming God for their problems. They were mourning the whole night because they gave into their feelings of unbelief and fear. They were mourning the whole night over loss. Israel was mourning because they wanted the old man to live and not die. Again, I think many of us, we've been there. We're weeping a whole night because we've allowed our fears and lack of faith in God and in the Word of God to take over us. We begin to think in completely irrational ways because fear is driving us and fear is the driving force within us. We can be angry at God. God, why can't you make obeying you easier? Why can't you make the promises you have for me easier to achieve? God, why can't I have my cake and eat it too? And the whole point of Christianity is that it's a hard road. Our Savior, was life easy for him? It was difficult for him. Difficult for him. And this is who we're following. God, why do I have to sacrifice? God, why do I have to make decisions for you and have people not happy with me? Isn't that against the Bible or something, right? Shouldn't everybody love me and everybody be happy with my decisions? Shouldn't all my kids, shouldn't my family just love me the more and more I'm obedient to you? Right? Jesus says, I didn't come to bring peace, but to bring a sword. Right? Families, we really don't like those scriptures, right? Son against father, mother against daughter. That's what Christ, Him coming, that's what it does within us. We can spend the whole night mourning because we want to stay attached to our old identity instead of the identity Christ has for us. We want to say, this is who I am. I just always struggle with anxiety. I just always struggle with fear. I just always struggle with depression. I just always struggle with pornography. I just always struggle with alcohol. And we're clinging to our old identities instead of being obedient to what scripture tells us and promises us. Romans tells us that if we're saved, we're no longer slaves to sin. And no matter what this world tells us, Fear is a sin. Anxiety, it's a sin. Depression, it's a sin. Alcohol, drugs, sex, all of these things, it's sinful. Will we struggle? Will we be tempted? Absolutely. But they don't own us. That doesn't become our identity, nor do we give place for them. We have to be careful because not all tears are godly tears. Many people can be mourning and weeping for completely carnal and fleshy reasons. Oftentimes people can weep because their sins and their idols are being affected. They want to hold on to who they used to be instead of who God has them to be, what God created us for. And that's why the nation of Israel spent the whole night crying. Are they hurt? Are they in danger? They're just crying at the idea of having to go into the promised land and fight some giants. Verse 2-3 through three, They begin complaining about Moses and Aaron. And they begin to think irrationally, right? Does this sound like someone that's insane? Of course it does, right? If only we would have died in the land of Egypt. If only we would have died in the wilderness. It would be better for us to return to Egypt. They're saying it'd be better right now if we were dead. Is that the truth? No. They were just complaining about water. They were just complaining about food. They would have said, yes, we're going to die because we don't have enough food, right? If that's what was rational. Uh, I always crack up. There's a group of uh, some of the young adult guys, and they went on a boat all together. And there was a little boat. It was way too many of them. And fear crept into their heart, and they started to do irrational things, right? The boat was started taking on water, and they all started doing irrational things. They had a cooler filled of ice filled with drinks so they wanted to use it to pull out the water in the boat so what did they do with the ice and water in the cooler they dumped it in the boat right another guy they started talking about he started grabbing a fishing net a bait net and he started trying to take water out of the boat with the bait net right another guy on the top of the boat holding his shoes saying I don't want to get my shoes wet like bro the whole boat's going down what are you talking about you don't want to get your shoes wet Right? They survive. they all make it, They still, right? they still attend church. But fear can creep into our lives and we begin to do irrational things. We know who God is. God is a good God. He's the one, he's the only reason the nation of Israel is a nation. He's the only reason why they're not in slavery anymore. He's the only reason why Egypt is defeated. And now they're saying it would have been better if we would have died. It would have been better if we would go back to Egypt and be slaves once again. They've witnessed the countless miracles of God. They've tasted the faithfulness of God each and every morning and each and every night. And yet they're crying out saying that it'd be better to be dead than to obey the Lord. Lack of faith and allowing fear to drive our decisions causes us to think irrationally. They are beginning to think that God's promises for them are something that is evil. When we're thinking based on our fears, we can begin to think God's promise is for us. That's evil. We have to be careful with that. It's creeping in, right? The the ideas of the world, it's creeping into the church. The ideas that God has made man and woman, there are people today that think that that's evil. They're fearful of God's promises. They are fearful of God's creation, God creating one husband for one wife and sex to only be under the marriage bed, right? There are people today that they're fearful of that, right? There are people that are fearful of a man being the leader of the home. There are people that are fearful of God only having men to be pastors in churches. It can cause us fear to think in ways that it makes no sense. Robert Jameson, he says, "...the sinfulness and insane folly of their conduct are almost incredible." Their conduct, however, is paralleled by too many among us who shrink from the smallest difficulties and rather remain slaves to sin than resolutely try to surmount the obstacles that lie in their way. Again, we need to cling to God's promises, not run from difficulties, not run from the difficulties that allow us to be free in Christ. Not run from the obstacles that cause us to be free from our sins. Let's turn to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 35. It says, Therefore do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that after you've done the will of God, you may receive the promise. And yet a little while, and he who is coming will come and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith. But if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who draw back to perdition, but of those who believe to the saving of the soul. The NASB it says, we are not of those who shrink back to destruction. And as believers, we shouldn't be shrinking back. We need to be living a life of faith. That's who we need to be. The righteous shall live by faith, not by fear. Back to Numbers 14 and verse 4. They're angry, right? They're crying. They're weeping the whole night. They're saying it'd be better if they'd be dead. And now in verse 4, they say, let us select a leader and return to Egypt. Again, the audacity of the nation of Israel. They're saying, hey, if each of us come and talk to each other, our wisdom can match the wisdom of God. They're not seeking the Lord. They're not praying. They're just talking amongst themselves and saying, you know what? Let's find a new leader and return to Egypt. We see that they were complaining about Moses and Aaron. Now they want a new leader that will take them back to return to Egypt where they spent 40 years in slavery. And what's really left of Egypt right now? Ain't much, right? They got completely wrecked. They got completely destroyed. And yet they're saying, let's go back to Egypt. Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 17, Nehemiah speaks about this. He says, they refused to obey, and they were not mindful of your wonders that you did among them, but they hardened their necks, and in their rebellion, they appointed a leader to return to their bondage. But you are God, ready to pardon, gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abundant in kindness, and did not forsake them. Again, Nehemiah says that it was in their rebellion. Who were they rebelling against? They are rebelling against God. right? They complained about Moses and Aaron. Were Moses and Aaron truly the problem here? No. Israel's problem wasn't with Moses and Aaron. Their problem was that Moses and Aaron were being obedient to what God had told them to do. And parents, if you're being biblical, you're going to taste this every once in a while, Right? We can think of Samuel. Samuel was mourning and weeping because of Israel's desire to have a king reign over them. Samuel took it as some sort of rejection. The nation of Israel was rejecting him. And in 1 Samuel chapter 8 verse 7 and 8. The Lord says to Samuel, they have not rejected you but they have rejected me that I should not reign over them. Well, you see we have to be obedient to God and as they reject us, they reject us. But we need to be obedient to God and to his word. And we also need to pray and ask the Lord to search our hearts. Because there are times, I know no one here, but sometimes we have problem with the authority in our life. Maybe it's a pastor, maybe it's a teacher, maybe it's a parent, an aunt, an uncle, whoever it may be, a boss. And sometimes we have a problem with the authority in our life. But truly the problem we have is with God's authority. And we're just taking it out on the person in front of us. Anyone who's willing to represent and uphold the authority of God and the authority of His Word in our flesh, we get annoyed at it. And we can begin to complain about Caleb and Moses. In Numbers 14, in verse 9 and 11, we see the truth. They're not rebelling against Moses and Caleb's leadership. They are rebelling against the Lord. Only do not rebel against the Lord. Verse 11, how long will these people reject me? It wasn't just Moses and Aaron they were rejecting. They were rejecting and rebelling against God on high. Verse 5, how do Moses and Aaron respond? They fall on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the children of Israel. And here we get a few examples of biblical leadership. And sometimes the best thing you can do as a leader is not answer back someone's nonsense. Sometimes the best thing you could do as a leader is stop and pray. Moses and Aaron, they don't start talking to them. They don't start going tit for tat. They don't start arguing with them. They just stop. They fall on their faces and they start praying for the nation of Israel. And what we see here is the humility of Moses and Aaron. We see how Christ-like they are. They're praying for the enemies who want to get rid of them. They're praying for their own countrymen that wanted to replace them and get someone else to cause them to go back to Egypt. And here's just a Christ-like leader. In Proverbs 15 verse 1, it tells us, A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Again, this is a soft answer. Sometimes a soft answer is not even answering someone in their wrath. In Matthew chapter 5 verse 44 and 45, Jesus tells us to love our enemies, to bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. Again, Moses and Aaron are here showing us biblical leadership. They're willing to pray for their own brothers and sisters that are coming against them. Verse 6 and 7, we see some more biblical examples of leadership. It tells us, Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes. And they spoke to all the congregation of the children of Israel, saying, The land we pass through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, then he will bring us into this land and give it to us. A land which flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord, nor fear the people of the land, for they are our bread. Their protection has departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. Again, Joshua and Caleb, they're telling him the problem isn't with the land and the problem isn't with God. The problem is with your hearts. You're rebelling against the Lord. You're being fueled by fear and led by fear. And you're rebelling against God. Don't fear the people. Don't fear the land. It's going to be like bread. It's going to be easy. It's going to be like panatella, right? It's a piece of cake. Again, the leadership here from Joshua and Caleb. Not only do they stand for what's right, they're standing for what's right in tearing their clothes and seeing how the nation of Israel is acting and reacting against us. Moses and Aaron. So they stand up. They tear their clothes. They're standing for what's right. Something wrong is happening and they're standing up. But now they're also standing against the vast majority of the spies. It was just two of them versus the 12, right? Two out of the 12, two versus 10. And they're standing up for righteousness. And now they're standing up against the whole nation of Israel. And not only do they stand up for what's right, not only do they declare something is wrong, but now they're actually trying to persuade them to see what's right. Again, this is an area I gotta grow in. Sometimes people are going down a dark path, and I tell them one time, then I say, All right. They just wanna learn the hard way, right? They just wanna hit their head against the wall. Hey, go pa visa, right? Sometimes that's the only people learn, right? They go through the pain. But biblical leadership, we should be trying to speak truth into the lives of the people around us. There's no punches held back here, right? Hey, you stop rebelling against the Lord, stop living in fear. God is good. God's promises are good. That's what they're telling them. It's an exceedingly good land. Joshua and Caleb, they remind them of the great truth. God is good. God's promises are good. And we only get to God's promises by faith and obedience. That's the only way we get to God's promises, by faith and obedience. For us today, now we get there by faith and obedience in Jesus Christ. The nation of Israel, they got to the promised land by faith and obedience and Joshua. Joshua was the one that led them there. Not the law through Moses, but through Joshua, who's the same name there as Jesus. Only do not rebel against that. Don't rebel against God and his goodness. Don't rebel against God that his promises are good. Don't rebel against the way we taste of God's promises. It's by faith and obedience. I don't know if you've ever been there. You're talking with your kids or you're talking with someone and you give them a pep talk and you think it went amazing, right? You, you hear the band playing behind you. The American flag drops behind you and everything as you're giving the pep talk. And then it seems like nobody heard anything. Why? Verse 10, the whole congregation said, stone them with stones, right? <laughs> they give this incredible pep talk. They remind them about the Lord. They remind them about who God is. And they say, you know what? Let's kill these guys. And we can think of Cain and Abel. Cain was in the middle of being disobedient to God and not following God's prescribed methods of sacrifice and relationship with God. And Cain was pretty frustrated. But what was it that completely set Cain off? Seeing his brother being obedient and dedicated to God. That's what drove Cain to the point of insanity to murder his own brother. And sometimes that's just what's going to happen in our lives. You may have another brother or sister and they're frustrated because they're being disobedient to God. They're not going by faith. They're rebelling against the Lord. And the thing that's going to drive them absolutely up the wall is seeing you being obedient to God and faithful to God. And we just have to be okay with that. Sometimes that's what's going to happen. They get. They start gathering their stones, and then the second part of verse 10 tells us, Now the glory of the Lord appeared in the tabernacle of meeting before all the children of Israel. God steps in, right? And everybody starts dropping their rocks one by one. Think of two chapters ago, uh, it's Moses' brother and sister, Aaron and Miriam, and they start bringing up these lies, these false accusations against Moses, and then the glory of God appears on the tabernacle and says, hey, you three, come into my office, right? So the glory of God appears, and then the Lord begins to speak to Moses. The Lord said to Moses, How long will these people reject me? And how long will they not believe me? With all the signs which I have performed among them, I will strike them with the pestilence and disinherit them. And I will make of you a nation greater and mightier than they. We see here, God, He speaks to Moses. Did God speak to the rebellious people? No. God, He speaks to Moses. And oftentimes, when we are in a constant state of rebellion against God, it seems as if God has gone radio silent. And we say, God, where are you? God, I'm not getting anything out of my devils. God, what about this? God, what about that? And oftentimes, we need to look at our hearts and say, Lord, search my heart. Reveal to me if there's any wicked way. Show me if I've been duped by this wicked heart. And we need to ask ourselves, what was the last thing God told you to do and have you been obedient to it? What was the last thing God told you to do and have you been obedient to it? And today, if you are in active rebellion against God, if you are actively rejecting God and rejecting His promises, why should He speak to you anymore? Why should He answer anything else if you're being actively rejecting Him and rebelling against Him? I encourage you, go and humble yourself. Cry out to him, repent and do the last thing he told you to do. In Revelation chapter 2, verse 4, Jesus says, Nevertheless, this I have against you, that you've left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you've fallen, repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Listen to a great teaching from Mike Foge and he just it's so true sometimes we think time is the same as repentance we feel bad about something we did we feel terrible about it and then the next day we feel a little less bad the next day a little less bad the next day a little bit less bad until the point where we kind of forget about it the feeling is gone did we repent are we now right with God not at all just the pain of our shame is sort of gone We need to remind ourselves time does not heal all things and time definitely does not heal sin. Biblically, the only thing that can heal sin is coming back to the Lord and repenting and going to whoever we've hurt and repenting against them. Telling the man, I'm sorry I did this. That was 10 years ago. I barely remember. That's okay. I want to repent. Because that's the only way we can continue to grow in the Lord. God, he's here. He's telling Moses, how long will these people reject me? How long will they not believe me with all the signs which I performed among them? I will strike them with pestilence and disinherit them. I will make of you a greater nation and mightier than they. And this is an incredible offer made here to Moses. God is saying, Hey, Mo, I'm, I'm going to get rid of all of Israel. Instead of Father Abraham, it'll be Father Moses. Instead of the nation of Israel, we'll call it Motown, right? That, that's what he's telling him here. And now this isn't the first time Moses has received this promise or this offer from the Lord. In Exodus 32, God makes a similar offer to Moses. And I believe this is why Moses is so prominent in Scripture. Because Moses was not consumed with his own glory. Moses was consumed with the glory of God. Moses wanted to see God glorified to the utmost level. He could care less if he was glorified. And if we want to be used mightily by God, we need to fight for his name being glorified and not for our own name. Moses quickly, he doesn't even answer the offer, right? Verse 13, Moses says to the Lord, then the Egyptians will hear it. For by your might, you brought these people up from among them and they will tell it to the inhabitants of this land. They have heard that you, Lord, are among these people. And that you, Lord, are seen face to face and your cloud stands above them and you go before them in a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Now if you kill these people as one man, then the nations which have heard of your fame will speak saying, Because the Lord was not able to bring this people to the land which he swore to give them, therefore he killed them in the wilderness. Again, Moses, he doesn't even consider the offer. Right away, Moses' desire is for God to receive all the glory, all the praise, and all the honor. Thinking of David, David, when he sins against the Lord with Bathsheba, Nathan rebukes David, and he tells David in 2 Samuel 12, verse 14, he says, by this deed you have given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. And Moses here at the sins of other people didn't want to give any occasion for the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. Again, Moses, he wasn't about his name or his reputation or his recognition. What well, we read earlier that he was the most humble man, the meekest man ever. We can see is true because he was just consumed with God being glorified. And he's saying, God, if you kill them, if you wipe them out and start this new nation, they're going to say you weren't able to do it. They're going to be able to say, you don't keep your promises. They're going to be able to say, you weren't strong enough to bring these people into the land that you told them. Verse 17, and now I pray, let the power of my Lord be great. Just as you have spoken, saying, the Lord is long-suffering and abundant in mercy, forgiving iniquity and transgression, but he by no means clears the guilty. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation. What Moses does here is something we should follow in our prayers. Moses stands on what God has already told him. You see, Moses is praying Exodus 34, verse 6 through 8. He's praying what God has already told him. In Exodus chapter 34, verse 6 through 8, it tells us the Lord passed before Moses. And the Lord proclaimed the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sins, by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. That, this is how we should be praying. Just Pray. Scriptural prayers. Pray out God's word. You don't know what to pray? Go through the Psalms and pray those prayers. Pray that scripture. That's what Moses does here. In verse 19, Moses says, Pardon the iniquity of these people. I pray according to the greatness of your mercy, just as you have forgiven this people from Egypt even until now. Moses prays, interceding on behalf of the nation of Israel. It's not about him. It's not about how hurt he is. It's not about how angry he may be at them. It's all about saving these people. Moses focuses on the power of the Lord being great and he focuses on the greatness of God's mercy. He doesn't focus on how hurt he is. He doesn't focus on how offended he is at them. He focuses on God's power and his great mercy mercy and we can see the heart of Jesus within Moses and his prayer he's pleading with God to pardon their iniquity Lord would you show your power not by destroying them Lord show your power by showing mercy upon these people Lord show your power by forgiving these people Romans chapter 8, verse 29, it tells us that he, for whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. And even before Jesus comes into this world as a baby, here we see Moses being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. And if Moses is able to do this without the New Testament, without the personal relationship with Jesus that we have, how much more should we be praying, Lord, forgive them? Lord, pardon their iniquity. Lord, please show your mercy upon these people. Oftentimes, if we're honest, what's the prayer that we're praying? Lord, I know if you give me power, I could consume them with fire right now, right? Lord, I could rain fire from heaven right now if you give me the power. That's my prayer. I don't know, about, Not on you guys, but on other people, right? Again, for us to be praying these prayers, Lord, forgive them. Lord, I know how much you've forgiven me. I know how gracious you've been to me. I know how merciful you've been to me. Lord, show your great power. Forgive them. Change their lives. Verse 20. Then the Lord said, I have pardoned according to your word. Again, family, don't let the lies of this world creep into your mind thinking that thoughts and prayers do nothing. Don't give that even one ounce to one brain cell. Here God says, Moses, I've pardoned them according to your word. Our prayers mattered. I'm only here because other people have prayed for me. God's only moving in our church because people are praying for the teaching. People are praying for the church. People are praying for people to come. And we need to pray more and have the faith that our prayers matter. Because guess what biblically they do? Biblically, God himself is saying, Moses, I've pardoned them according to your word. We need to pray more. I don't think there's any Christian that says prayer is not important. But how much do we really pray? When was the last time you were at a prayer meeting? When was the last time you had a prayer meeting at your house? Let's pray like we actually think it matters. Like we're actually believing it can change our situation and the situation of the world around us. Verse 21, But truly as I live, all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. Because all these men have seen my glory and the signs which I did in Egypt and in the wilderness and have put me to the test now these ten times and have not heeded my voice. They certainly shall not see the land of which I swore to their fathers, nor shall any of those who reject me see it. Again, we need to be reminded God will not be mocked and God will always be glorified. God will always get the glory. He's not going to share his glory with anyone. These men have seen the glory of God every day, every night. Pillar of fire by night, a pillar of a cloud by day. The manna raining down every day, the quail raining down, God tearing the Red Sea in two, him closing it up on their enemies, the whole Egyptian army. They've seen the power of God. And yet they continue to put him to the test and disobey him over and over and over again. And notice God says, hey, I'm going to forgive them. I'm going to pardon them according to your word. However, they are still going to have consequences, right? Hey, I'm going to pardon them. I'm going to forgive them. But there's still consequences for their continued disobedience against me. And I think that's just something today as believers, we need to be mindful of. Sometimes we say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, to the 20th power, right? And we think we're going to have no consequences. That's not so. There are consequences for our continued disobedience to the Lord. There's pardon. You're not going to be cast to hell because of it. But there are still consequences. Verse 24 We see in spite of all these rebellious people, the Lord, he puts his servant Caleb out on display. He says, but my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit in him and has followed me fully, I will bring into the land where he went and his descendants shall inherit it. Caleb, he has a different spirit in him and he has followed me fully. He has a different spirit in him and he's been obedient to the word of the Lord. Now again, as we look at the last three chapters, did Caleb change anything? Did Caleb change anyone's mind? No. And we need to be reminded God looks at our heart and our faithfulness. This is what the Lord judges us on. The rewards we receive for eternity are based on our faithfulness to what has been given and entrusted to our care. He doesn't necessarily care about the fruit on this side of eternity. He just cares, have you been faithful with what God has given to you? Have you been faithful to have that different spirit within you and following Him fully? Caleb, he was faithful to speak the truth. Caleb, he was faithful to speak out when things that were wrong were happening. Caleb was faithful to try and change their minds. And Caleb was obedient to the Lord even when he was the few, whether he was one out of 12 or one out of a multitude. And family, we need faithful men and women today. People who are faithful, not people who are fearful, not people who have the same spirit of the rest of the world, but men and women who have a different spirit in them. Robert Jamison, he says, "Under the influence of God's spirit, Caleb was a man of bold, generous, heroic courage, above worldly anxieties and fears. And this is what we need today. And doesn't our world struggle with anxiety and fear and depression more than ever before? There's never been a safer time to be alive. Do you know that? There's never been a safer time to be alive. Do, do any of us really worry about food being on the table the next day? No, most of us are worried there's too much food in our bellies today, right? That's what most of us are worried about. And yet we live with so much fear, so much anxiety, so much depression. Don't allow the enemy to condemn you. Biblically, you look at Psalms, it pretty much looks like David struggled with anxiety, fear, and depression. Throughout the book of Acts, you see these men, it says that they were, right, to the very core, they're being perplexed, they're in distresses. But they didn't allow that to become their identity. They went biblically. They said, God, this is what I'm feeling, but this is what your word says. That's what we need to be obedient to. Lord, may we have that different spirit in us, and may we follow you fully. Again, David, Jonathan, Caleb, Joshua, Barnabas, they were just crazy enough to believe What the Bible says. May we be those men and women. Verse 25. Now the Amalekites and the Canaanites. Dwell in the valley. Tomorrow turn. And move out into the wilderness. By the way of the Red Sea. And this verse is so sad. Israel they're right on the border. Of the promised land. They're on the border of the promised land. They send their 12 spies into the land. And yet because of their disobedience. Now they would go back to wandering in the wilderness. Verse 26, The Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, How long shall I bear with this evil congregation who complain against me? I have heard the complaints which the children of Israel make against me. Say to them, As I live, says the Lord, Just as you have spoken in my hearing, so I will do to you. What is God saying? Be careful what you wish for, right? God's saying you said it was better for you to be dead in the wilderness. Guess what? I'm going to answer that prayer, right? Verse 29, The carcasses of you who have complained against me shall fall into the wilderness. All of you who were numbered according to your entire number from 20 years old and above. Every 19-year-old was thanking the Lord that day, right? Except for Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, the son of Nun, you shall by no means enter the land which I swore I would make you to dwell in. But your little ones... The ones who you said would be victims, I will bring in and they shall know the land which you have despised. But as for you, your carcasses shall fall in this wilderness and your sons shall be shepherds in the wilderness 40 years and bear the brunt of your infidelity until your carcasses are consumed in the wilderness. Right? just a bunch of carcasses. That's what you should look at in the mirror. Look at this carcass, right? That's how God calls them. What do we see here? A couple promises. First and foremost, only Caleb and Joshua were going to make it into the promised land. The rest of them, because of their fear, because of what they said it would be better for them to do and be, God is giving them those desires of their heart. Hey, you're saying it would be better for you to be dead in the wilderness? Here you go, all of you are going to perish in this wilderness. The nation of Israel, the reason for their fear was that our kids would be victims. Hey, let's not be obedient to God. Let's not apprehend the promises God has for us because what about our children? What's going to happen to them? What if we make this hard decision? What if we have to fight this giant? And God says, all that fear you had for them that you thought they would be victims... They're going to taste of this promised land I had for you, that you were too fearful to be obedient to me and walk into the promised land. Again, may none of us make decisions based on fear of what it may do to us and of what it may do to our children. We need to be wise. We need to be considerate. We need to pray. But if we're making decisions based on what's going to be easiest for us and our family, that's a dangerous road to go on. Here, God, he's condemning the nation of Israel for making decisions based on what would be easier for them and their children. And God's saying, you're going to be hurt because of it. And now, even their children, they're going to taste of the promised land, but they're still going to taste of difficulty. In verse 33, right, it says that they're going to bear the brunt of your infidelity. The decisions you made to, quote-unquote, protect them from the difficulty... Now they're going to go through more difficulty just because of your supposed protection. And then they're going to flourish from what you tried to protect them of. One thing we need to know here is that these children are not suffering spiritually because of the decisions of their parents. We do not suffer spiritually because of the decisions of our parents and our grandparents. However, we can suffer physically because of the decisions of our parents And grandparents. And it's important to keep that in mind. We may live in poverty because our parents, they were very unwise with their money, or they were a drunkard, or they were a druggie. But that has no influence on our spiritual state. Each of us are going to be without excuse before the Lord. We can't just say, God, my mom was this, or my dad was this. That's why I wasn't obedient to you. Because there's tons of other people that had all the bad situations you could think of, and then some... And they're following the Lord fully. A lot of the Calvary guys, I right? think of Mike McIntosh. He really didn't have a dad in his home, abusive home. His mom with one man after another, and yet he loves the Lord. He serves Him. He's a great dad. He's a great granddad today. Ezekiel chapter eighteen, verse nineteen, God tells him, and He rebukes the whole idea of generational sins or generational curses. Have you ever heard that before? Generational sins, generational curses. That's not biblical. God says, yet you say, why should the son not bear the guilt of the father? Because the son has done what is lawful and right and has kept all my statutes and observed them. He shall surely live. The soul who sins shall die. And the son shall not bear the guilt of the father, nor the father bear the guilt of the son. And we have to keep that in mind. Our spiritual state, it's because of you, it's because of me. That's where I'm at. It's not because of my mom, dad, X, Y, or Z. Some of us were, life is easier for us. I'm so blessed with the godly heritage I have. But there's a long time that I was running away from that heritage in spite of it. And there are some of you today that you had a completely sinful heritage, right? And yet you came to faith in the Lord despite your family... Being abused or mocked or called crazy and look at what God is doing in you today. Verse 34, according to the number of days in which you spied out the land, 40 days. For each day you shall bear bear your guilt one year, namely 40 years, and you shall know my rejection. I, the Lord, have spoken this. I will surely do so to all this evil congregation who are gathered together against me in this wilderness they shall be consumed and there they shall die now again god said i've pardoned them god said i'm going to forgive them but there are still consequences for our decisions god's not going to cast them into hell but there's still consequences to our trust and lack of trust in the lord and lots of times it's it's those promises there's being able to defeat sin Being able to defeat the chains of sin. Being able to taste of the blessings and the promises of the Lord. Verse 36. Now the men who Moses sent to spy out the land, who returned and made all the congregation complain against him by bringing a bad report of the land, those very men who brought the evil report about the land died by the plague before the Lord. But Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jephunneh remain alive Of the men who went to spy out the land. Be careful, you're not the one leading people to complain against someone else, right? Living in the danger zone here a bit, right? Here we see the warning of being a teacher and causing little ones to stumble. We have to be so mindful of that. Am I causing little ones to stumble? God's word tells us to be careful if you want to be a teacher because you're going to be held to a stricter judgment. And these ten men were sent out as representatives of their tribes, and they caused their tribes to not believe in the Lord and to be prone to even more fear. They gave an evil report about the land. So God, he just wipes them dead right there. Verse 39, Then Moses told these words to all the children of Israel, and the people mourned greatly. And then they rose early in the morning, and they went up to the top of the mountain, saying, Here we are. And we'll go up to the place which the Lord has promised, for we have sinned. Again, I know none of us here, right? You completely mess up. You completely eat dirt. You've been disobedient, disobedient, disobedient. You haven't asked for forgiveness, haven't asked for forgiveness. And now the next morning you just act like nothing's ever happened, right? Honey, how are you? How's your morning going, right? This is what the nation of Israel is doing. They're saying, oh, we've we've said we're sorry. We've said that we've messed up, but there's still consequences for our sins. Verse 41, Moses said, Now why do you transgress the commandment of the Lord? For this will not succeed. Do not go up, lest you be defeated by your enemies, for the Lord is not among you. For the Amalekites and the Canaanites are there before you, and you shall fall by the sword, because you have turned away from the Lord. The Lord will not be with you. But they presumed to go up to the mountaintop. And neither the ark of the covenant of the Lord nor Moses departed from the camp. Then the Amalekites and the Canaanites who dwelt in that mountain came down and attacked them and drove them back as far as Hormah. Again, what a danger to us. If you ever realize that the Lord is not with you, If you're on your way to go do something and someone warns you, hey, God's not with you in this. You're not following God's will. You're not following the plan of God here. Take a step back and cry out to the Lord and say, God, is this really you? Is this really your will for me right now? Because if you're turning away from the Lord, just because you say he's with you does not mean he has to be with you. And there are things that God doesn't follow us along with. And when we're going down the path of sin, God is not following you down that path or applauding you down the path of sin. We need to be obedient to the Lord.